you have a Bible, please open to Philippians chapter 4 today. Philippians 4 this morning. As we read this great letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, we've learned many lessons about how to live a worry-free life that is filled with joy, and peace, and contentment. Lest they misunderstand his message of contentment, Paul then says, notwithstanding, or let me clarify. Would you please stand with me as I read our next section of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 14. And notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful promise that you give to each Christian. Father, thank you. Thank you for the warmth and love and care that we receive simply by even reading this text. I pray if there is one here today and they're not certain that heaven is their home, I pray that you'd open their heart, that they would receive the free gift of God, eternal life, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray you'll grow the faith of every Christian. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In 1843, Charles Dickens penned a Christmas carol that has delighted readers and audiences around the world now for more than 170 years. It is the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly cheapskate who was visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his former partner, and we know the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future. Dickens wrote in a time when the British were re-examining their Christmas traditions, including the singing of carols and the newer customs that were just coming on the scene, such as Christmas trees. He was truly inspired to influence his society to be more sympathetic after visiting a London orphanage. What better way than to tell a story about a miser transformed into a generous soul. Even today, academics debate whether this was simply a secular story or a Christian allegory like Pilgrim's Progress. After Scrooge's incredible transformation, which is almost Christ-like, Tiny Tim is best known for his famous line. Can you say it? God bless us, everyone. There's quite a biblical, a lot of biblical truth in that little phrase, God bless us, everyone. 
In fact, it is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And so God's love and kindness is, you know, it's showered upon everyone, including his enemies. And so theologians, they call this God blessing everyone. They call it common grace. But beyond the general blessings that God gives to all people, he makes some special promises to provide and care for his own children. You and I, who are a part of the family of God, God promises to provide. Number one, God meets our needs when we are in a right relationship with him. And we find that back in chapter one, verse one, as he opens the letter, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, all the church family in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. So to the church family, pastors, deacons, all the saints, uh, there is a right relationship that they have. How? How can you have a right relationship with God? Well, very simply, it's by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On the beginning of page two, you see Christians, you know very well, the Holy Spirit does this supernatural work of convicting of our sins. Uh, we then hear the good news that Jesus died on the cross by suffering our hell for us. When we put our faith in Christ alone, we believe that he died and he rose again. We're transformed from sinners to saints. One word truly describes this new position we have in Christ. It's the word forgiven. Forgiven. If you go to the cemetery and visit the fresh grave of Bob and Thelma Buckwalter, you will see their names. You will see their birth date. You will see their death date. And there's only one other word on that gravestone. It's the word forgiven. Forgiven. I hope, Christian, you will never get over the fact of your forgiveness. God meets the needs of his children when we are in a right relationship with him. And then number two, God meets our needs when we totally rely on him. That's found in verses 11 to 13. Paul learned contentment. May I say to you today, if you are in debt, stop spending. All right? If you're in debt, stop spending. Stop the bleeding. Uh, God meets our needs when we rely upon him. He is our provider. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. God is our father. How much, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then God is our shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. So God meets our needs when we are in a right relationship with him. God meets our needs uh, when we totally rely upon him. And thirdly, we now come to a very special promise with a very special condition. God meets our needs when we generously give to his work. And his work is that of reaching people through his local church. Verse 14 begins with this word, notwithstanding. 
or let me clarify what I have just said. You see, Paul did not want to send the wrong message to the Philippians. When word came to the Philippians that the Apostle Paul is in Rome, he is in prison, he is shackled to a Roman soldier, he is living on subsistence conditions, they said, hey, hey, we got to do something. Uh, I, I know we're in deep poverty, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, but we need to pass the plate. We need to take up an offering. And so they do, and they sacrifice, and they give, and they get some money, and they get some clothes, and they get some food, and they said, okay, we've got to have someone take it. You, you, Aphroditus, Epaphroditus, uh, you take it. And so he, he gets it all, he loads it all up, and he makes the trek uh, across the Roman Empire. He comes to Italy, he comes to Rome, he checks around, and he finds the Apostle Paul, and he takes these things to him. And now Paul writes a letter, and he's going to send it back uh, with Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. And when they read chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12, and he says, I'm content. I have everything I need. Uh, it doesn't bother me if I'm hungry uh, or if I'm full. And then they're going to scratch their heads and say, what in the world did we do? Did we make a serious big mistake? Here we did. We sacrificed. We took up this, this sacrificial big offering for Paul. And he writes to us and he says, thanks, but I don't need it. I'm content. They're going to say, what a mistake did we make? And so that's why we have the word notwithstanding. Lest you misunderstand. You see, if this were the end of the letter, they would have felt very bad. And so he says to them, you did a noble thing by giving to me in my affliction, verse 14. God is pleased. He is going to bless you both now and in eternity. But they might wonder, well, how, how, how can it be a good thing that we did? How can it be a noble gift if you didn't need it? And so let's see what he says in verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also <coughs> that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, that's a province in northern Greece, uh, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. You're the only church that gave to me after I left you. And you did it more than once. Now notice, giving and receiving are business terms. He is talking about income and expenses. He's a very careful steward. He wanted to maintain integrity with the churches that supported and prayed for him. So Paul is very grateful for the generous and kind way in which these dear Philippians had expressed their love to him. Look at chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly of your care for me. Look with me in your notes in the top of, uh, uh, top of page 3. Why is he so happy? Uh, why is he rejoicing? Why is he saying you did a good thing by sending me this offering even if I didn't need it? Here's why. Verse 17. Not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's saying, I'm so glad you gave this offering, not because I want the gift, but because I want to see it go on your spiritual account in heaven. This fruit, this offering is fruit. It is what Jesus called treasure in heaven, Matthew 6, 20. 
Not only is it fruit in heaven, but God is going to give back to you. Jesus said in your notes, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Paul was content. He rejoiced more in the blessings that came to others than in what he received. And the blessing came to them because they gave. How about you? Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice more in the blessing that comes to others than you do in, in that which comes to you? Are you content to go without as long as someone else is blessed? That's the heart of Paul. And he wants these Christians that he loves so dearly, he wants them to have eternal dividends. He was so thrilled because it would benefit them so much by giving. This is his joy. He is not nearly so concerned about the earthly gifts that he received, the money, the food, the clothes, as the spiritual blessings that they will receive. So look at verse 18. In verse 18, I have all and I abound and I am full. He writes three verbs in a row with increasingly emphasis and they're all verbs which can be used in a banking context. God supplied Paul's needs. I have all. He's saying, you have sent me more than I need. I abound. It's a surplus of material things. I have received the things you sent. I am filled up completely. And so with each verb, he intensifies his gratitude. Uh, he is saying, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at what you sent me. Thank you so much. I have plenty. I have everything I could ask for. And what you gave to me is really a gift to God. Look at the end of verse 18. The gift you gave, the thing that you sent, is an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So Paul is using Old Testament language here. Do you know in the Old Testament, the Jews did the morning and the evening sacrifice. Every festival they had sacrifices. They'd bring an animal, they'd kill the animal, they'd put it on an altar and it would, it would be consumed by that fire and the smoke rose up. It's a picture uh, of the sweet smell going into the nostrils of God. It's worship. It is worship, well-pleasing to God. And so now we come to the promise, verse 19. I will supply all your needs. You know, this verse is known, I, I think, by almost all Christians. It's quoted. It needs to be understood in its context. So Paul is saying, I know you gave sacrificially. I know you gave in a way that left you in need. And I want to assure you that God will provide for you. Not only does your gift bring eternal reward, but it is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And it's going to result in God giving back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, spending five summers on the farm, uh, I remember taking those big burlap sacks and getting the big shovel and filling it up with feed. And you put in wheat and oats and barley and the thing would get full and then you take that 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 big sack of uh, of grain and you take it you go boom 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 and you do that a few times and what do you do there's room and then you take the shovel and you you put some more in and you do it again boom 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 and you just keep putting more in and that's the picture that Jesus had in mind pressed down shaken running over I want you to know that God's shovel is bigger than your shovel 
God's shovel is bigger than your shovel. Whatever you give, God is going to give beyond what you can give. I believe that the context here, all your needs, means material needs, which have been supplied and sacrificed by the Philippians. Yet God will replenish in response to their sacrifice. And so if you sow bountifully, if you invest in heaven bountifully, the Bible says you will reap what? Bountifully. This is the promise that we find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And so if you give to the missionary Paul, <coughs> if you lend to the Lord, if you give to the Lord's work, God will supply. But God would just not supply your needs. It's beyond your need. How? Look what it says in verse 19. Oh, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What a great truth. When we begin to comprehend what he is saying, all of a sudden you realize that your giving is not sacrificing. Your giving is investing. It is investing. You're not giving up anything, but you're gaining everything that really matters and counts. Giving to God does not make you poorer. It makes you richer. And that's where your faith in the word of God is tested. When you give your tithes and your offerings and your missions gift at Valley Forge Baptist, you're giving to Christ. Your giving is a sweet aroma. It is well-pleasing to God. So this is, this is the conclusion of his contentment message. And so quick review here. Five words that describe contentment. If you want to be content, it begins with faith. Verse 10, confidence in a sovereign God. Things out of your control that are in God's control. Humility, you're satisfied with little. Submission, contentment in spite of our circumstances. Dependence, I can do all things through Christ. Strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And now, unselfishness. Focused on the well-being of others. And so let me close now with a brief understanding of Christian giving to God's work, his church, that comes out of this passage. Number one, give from the heart. We find that in verse 10. Our giving is not to be done grudgingly because the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So we, we give from the heart. And Paul rejoiced because the Philippians gave from their heart, not because they had to, but because they loved. And I'm so glad to be a pastor of one of the most generous church families in the state of Pennsylvania and the country of America. You are generous, you see needs, and you respond to it again and again. And I know you do it because you give from the heart. You give because you love God, you love Jesus Christ, you love others. And I join with Paul in saying, praise God for a church family who gives from the heart. It brings me great joy. Uh, number two, give as God gives you opportunity. When God makes it possible for you to give, you have opportunity, then you're to give. In fact, the Bible says, give as God has prospered you. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Is there anybody here today that has been prospered by God? Number three, give to those who serve. Verse 14, when we give to those who are God's servants, we become their partners in ministry. And that's true here at Valley Forge Baptist, and it's true with our 200 missionaries around the world. And Paul says to them, you are partners with me. Giving is a 
partnership at our church, you share in the eternal reward of every person saved, everyone baptized, everyone discipled. And so if you gave last week, one of our pastors opened the Bible and someone received Christ as their Savior. Uh, Pastor Manny opened his Bible and a man got saved, an officer, police officer on Friday. Uh, early service today, uh, uh, someone uh, rejoiced and received Christ as their Savior right back here in that section. Guess what? You don't know these people, but you're going to meet them one day. Amen. And they're going to thank you for your participation in being partners in ministry with God's servants who share the gospel and who lead people to Christ. I give consistently, verse 16. Paul says, you gave to me once and again. You're giving again. Upon the first day of the week, he told the Corinthians, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, if you get paid every week, you get a retirement deposit every month, then God expects you to give consistently. Even if it snows. Do I get an amen? <laughs> Even if it snows. Do you know that when we have a snow day, at the end of the month, Pico has never sent us a bill with a 25% discount. You had a snow day. Oh, I thought we'd cut your break and give you 25% off your electric bill. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. And so if the building's going to stay warm, we've got to keep paying the bills even if there is a snow day, giving consistently. Number five, give and be rewarded. Verse 17, you'll be rewarded for your giving. I believe in this life as God will give to you in return and you'll be rewarded for it in the life to come with a greater privilege of praising and glorifying God. Giving profits you spiritually. Number six, give generously. Verse 18, Paul says, I received a generous, abundant offering from you. Now traditionally in church, Christians have been taught that a good starting point is 10% of your income given to the Lord through the church. It's called a tithe. Jesus confirmed that in Matthew 23, 23. But that's only a starting point, And most of us in this society can do much more. But if you lived in the Old Testament, <coughs> they had two tithes. They had a third tithe every three years, which was about 23.5%. And then, 23 and a third. And then they had the temple tax that they had to pay every year. And then, then they had uh, uh, the corners of the field when they were harvesting. They're supposed to lead that there. That was sort of a profit-sharing plan for the poor. Remember Ruth? That's what Ruth did. And so they're well up over 25%. And then, and then they were uh, to, to willingly give from their heart of the first fruits. And they got to choose how much they wanted to give in the first fruit. So a tithe for us, 10%, it's only a place to start. But what a joy to be able to give more. Number seven, give is a sacred act of worship. Our giving to God is a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Our giving is worship. It is a sacrifice to God. You know, when King David, he bought the property, the Temple Mount, following, numbering the people, and the angel came, the, the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and many died. And so what he did, he went up. Have you ever seen the Dome of the Rock in, in Jerusalem? That Temple Mount, David bought it. And the man that owned it said, oh, no, 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 king, I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you free. David responded, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Nope, I'm going to buy it. 
because this is for God. I'm going to sacrifice for God. Number eight, give and you will be repaid by God. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So giving does not deplete your resources. It is a blessing now. It is treasure in heaven. And God will supply your need. How? Out of his glorious riches and glory. When we become faithful givers, we're just like the Christians at Philippi. We will have praise from God, favor from God. Now I know, I know, prosperity preachers, they twist this verse to fund their extravagant lifestyle. And that's sin. But their misinterpretation does not detract from God's promise to provide for you and me. Is that right? Yeah. Ever hear someone say something like, and it doesn't happen around here a lot, but sometimes, uh, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give half of it to God. Do you think they would? Yeah. God bless you. Uh, if, you're, if you're not generous now, you're not going to be generous if you received a windfall of money. You know why? Because it's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. It's a faith issue. It's an obedience issue. More than that, it's a love issue. And the question is, the question is, who do you love? Who do you love? And do you love what God loves? Do you love what what Jesus loves. And so if you want to learn contentment, one of the keys is learning to be a generous giver. Every time you give, and I'm not just talking money, every time you give your time and your energy and your service and yourself to God, heaven makes a little credit mark, not for salvation, but for reward on that ledger sheet in heaven. You see, in heaven, the faithful givers will see the hundreds, if not thousands of people who have come to Christ because of your faithful giving. It's exciting. It's exciting to be able to hear from the missionaries, people they lead to Christ, and, and that happens here and around the world. And, and we're, we're going to get to meet these people. And they're going to say thank you to us. Our little church right here making an impact on thousands of people. And that is so cool that people are getting saved because we just consistently give and we sacrifice for the Lord. Now what better way to illustrate what I preached to you this morning than the Christ-like transformation that came over Ebenezer Scrooge. And so I'd like you to see the before and the after. Would it be too much to ask that you return to the work for which I pay you so handsomely? Mr. Cratchit! The fire's gone cold, Mr. Scrooge. Come over here, Mr. Cratchit. What is this? A shirt. And this? A waistcoat. And this? A coat. These are garments, Mr. Cratchit. Garments were invented by the human race's protection against the cold. Once purchased, they may be used indefinitely for the purpose for which they are intended. Cold burns. Cold is momentary and cold is costly. There will be no more coal burnt in this office today. Is that quite clear, Mr. Cratchit? Yes, sir. 
Now, please get back to work before I am forced to conclude that your services are no longer required. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, Bob Cratchit. And the same to you, Mr. Fred. Merry Christmas, Uncle. I said Merry Christmas, Uncle. <laughs> humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean that. I do. What's Christmas? But a time for buying things for which you have no need, no money. <laughs> time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. <laughs> if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips <laughs> should be boiled in his own pudding <laughs> and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. <laughs> Come now, Uncle. Neville, you keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you, much good it has done you. There are a great many things from which I might have derived good, from which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I've always thought of Christmas time when it comes right as a good time, a kindly, forgiving, charitable time. A time when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely to their fellow creatures. And so Uncle Verity has never put a scrap of gold or silver into my pocket. I do believe that it has done me good. And I say, God bless it. Not a sound from you. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Please don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Dine? <laughs> I'd see myself in hell for it. It would be a great joy to me. And to my wife. Yes, your wife. I'm told she brought very little to the marriage. A poor girl, Anston. I love her. And she loves me. Love. Good afternoon, nephew. You know, Scrooge spent his entire life as a miser, hoarding every penny, and he became independently wealthy, but also mean and lonely. But then in one night, in one night he is transformed, and he came to his senses, and he began to understand love and the joy of giving. Mr. Cratchit! Here, sir. Do you know what time it is? Yes, sir. What time is it? Eighteen minutes past the hour, sir. Eighteen and a half minutes past the hour. What do you mean? coming here this time of day. I'm sorry, sir. I am behind my time. <laughs> yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you will, please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday. 
And I tell you, my friend, I'm not going to stand for this any longer. Therefore, therefore, I am going to double your salary. Double my salary, sir? Yes, Bob. <laughs> A Merry Christmas to you. I'll double your salary for a start, and I'll endeavor to assist your family in any way I can. And Tim, Tim will walk again and grow stronger and stronger upon my life. He will. <laughs> well, we'll discuss the particulars this afternoon over a Christmas bowl. Hmm. What's the matter with you? Nothing, sir. Well, it's just... <laughs> Nothing. Make up the fire before we freeze to death. <laughs> Buy some more coal before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Yes, sir. Ebenezer Scrooge was better than his word. He became as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man as the old city knew. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. It was said of Ebenezer Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, every one. So I have to ask you, Scrooge, was he happier with more money or less money? Scrooge, was he happier as a hoarder or as a giver? Now, at the end of his life, he had less money. And so I just put X's in there because it needs to apply to your situation. You have to decide, am I going to be a Scrooge uh, before the transformation or a Scrooge after the transformation? Are you going to end your life and, and you can put whatever dollar figure you want in there? Are you going to end your life with, say, $500,000 in the bank without friends? Or $300,000 with friends? Are you going to end your life with a million dollars in the bank without friends? Or $600,000 with friends? And you know, it wouldn't it be terrible to go to heaven as a selfish, carnal Christian who never learned the joy of giving? Wouldn't it be a sad thing to realize that you were there and you were saved and you were safe, but you didn't influence other people to go there. You didn't influence a whole bunch of other people to get to heaven. Marley or Scrooge? You get to choose. Charles Dickens wrote that Marley learned too late. Scrooge learned in time. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful passage, for this promise that you give to provide for Christians who support the work of God, who give generously. I thank you for a church family that has experienced this and tested the promise and can testify again and again over the years and over the decades of your faithfulness 
to provide for us. God, thank you for that. And I pray if there's one here today, and as a Christian, they've, they've never had uh, that, op they've never had that, made that decision uh, to give faithfully. May today the Spirit of God uh, equip them, encourage them, and help them to be able to be Spirit-filled, generous in their love, their service, their giving. With their heads bowed or eyes closed, you'd say, Pastor Wendell, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven not because I give, not because I got baptized, not because I'm good or keep sacraments. I'm going to heaven because I received the free gift of eternal life. I am born again. I'm not ashamed to be called a follower of Christ. If that's you, would you simply testify that by holding your hand up high? I know that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. God bless you. You may put your hands down. You're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I... I think I'd go to heaven. I hope I'd go to heaven, but I'm not sure. I have doubt. I want you to know today that, that giving money or time or service will not get you one inch close to heaven. It's by faith in Christ alone. And if you sense the Spirit of God heavy upon you, uh, tapping on your heart, convicting of your sins, today receive forgiveness. Uh, today, receive God's gift of eternal life. How do you do that? You call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Is there anyone here today? You're not sure that heaven is your home. I'd like to lead you in that salvation prayer before you walk out these doors. You can trust Christ right now right where you're seated, just as one did in the early service. Would you simply raise your hands and say, Pastor, I want to know for sure heaven is my home. I want to receive this gift of eternal life. I want to be saved today. I want to know for certain. I want God to take away my doubt. Just hold your hand up high for a moment. I want to trust Christ right now as my Savior. Anyone at all? Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that you provide for your children. And I pray right now that our faith will grow from the time we've spent in the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing a song of invitation. My Jesus, I love thee. And may we sing it from our heart because we do love the Lord Jesus Christ. Open invitation. If there's a decision for you to make about joining the church, about getting baptized, if you want to learn more about how to go to heaven, you come as we sing together. My Jesus, I love thee.